Hey, please take your seats. Just watch the screen. I want you to just meditate on today's scripture just for a moment. It's a real change of mood, but it's real worthwhile. Hey, we've got a mums and babies room for our children. So please take your children to the mums and babies room, if you will. If anyone will come after me, let him first deny himself. Take up his cross. Follow me. Forever would save his life. Gain the whole world. And yeah, we forfeit our own soul. What shall we give in return for our souls? You know, the whole of Jesus' ministry, he talked about life. Throughout his ministry, he promised life. He, he, he talked to himself about being the water of life. He said he was the word of life. He said he was the bread of life. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. If you look through Jesus' ministry, it's life, 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 life. All the time he's saying, come and have some life. Come and, come and do some great life. And I really appreciate the life in this house this morning, don't you? The, that you've battled through the rain. You've battled through uh, the, the marathon. And, and God bless those people who are running. And uh, may they run at not church time next year. But anyways, uh, you know, but his words were life. He's the bread of life. And in the Gospel of John, 38 times alone. Uh, Jesus associates himself with life. Right in the opening sentences, it says, In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Uh, In our most famous scripture, in John 3.16, it says, He will give us eternal life. In chapter 3, verse 36, it says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. And we all know that great scripture in John 10.10. You know, I have come... That you might have life and have it to the full or more abundantly. Are there any Christians in the house? Amen. Jesus is about life. It's, it's full life. It's bright life. It's fulfilling life. And then right in the middle of his ministry, there comes this scripture, this, this few sentences where he kind of makes a almost he brings the juggernaut of life and says but I need you to know something I need you to consider something if anyone would come after me that's anyone that's everyone in this room and and everyone who we can think of anyone would come after me I want you to first deny yourself take up your cross and follow me for whoever would save his life will lose it 
But whoever loses his life for my sake, they'll save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he forfeits himself? You gain everything. You've got all these bags and they're all yours. But you lose your soul. What kind of life is that? You see, there's, there's a lot of preaching today about how God's going to promote you and how God's going to make everything right for you. But actually, you need to hear this scripture unless you pick up your cross daily. You can't follow him. This invitation is actually a stipulation that everybody has to do it. It's, it's something that everybody does if we're going to progress. It applies to me. It applies to you. And when Christians often hear this, this phrase, pick up our cross, or we've all got a cross to bear, basically what we're saying is, let's have a good attitude if we have some irritations in life. You know, if the car breaks down or, or something goes wrong at the house, oh, we've got a cross to bear. Let's, let's kind of just be cheerful through the things that we are suffering. And that may be a good Christian attitude, but it's not the deeper meaning of what this scripture means and of what Jesus is asking us to do. I don't want to cheapen things today, but do you ever watch game shows, anybody? Uh, you're probably too Christian for that. But uh, do you, have you ever seen Supermarket Sweep? The, the, somebody just said yes at the back. Ground, you know. the, there's a game show called Supermarket Sweep. And if you work your way through the rounds, what happens at the end is you get to take a trolley completely unabandoned around the supermarket and you can throw in as many goods as possible and win as many things as possible and you can have all your desires for all the things unchecked completely and that really is the metaphor of the game is the word picture of life for many people even though it's a little bit of fun a dash To get as much as possible unchecked is kind of precisely what Jesus was trying to check or to limit by saying, take up your cross and follow me. Would you like to live your life free from desires that only leave you wanting more? Would you actually... Not like to be that sort of person that thinks, man, if I could just absolutely have everything that I needed and wanted, and I want it now. Freddie Mercury, we want it all, and we want it now. I wonder if I could just get a microphone how he does it. But actually, those things don't satisfy us. And that's why we need to take up our cross. Taking up our cross is an internal work of God, actually, where God sorts out our motivations and our desires. He refines them. He makes our operating center or our heart shaped so that it's based on the right things 
so that we don't let our nature destroy us. In the mid-16th century, a fable emerged in Russia. And there was even some uh, pre-versions of it. But in Russia, and you you would have heard this about the frog and the scorpion. The, The frog was sitting on the bank one day and the scorpion comes up and says, Hey, will you, I can't swim, will you... Can I climb on your back so you you can swim and take me to the other side? And the frog said to the scorpion, Ah, but, you know, if I let you climb on my back, I, I think you would kill me. And the scorpion replied back and said, You know what? Uh, why, would that, why would I do that? Because if, when I'm on your back, I can't swim. So if I sting you, we're both drowned. And the frog said, you know, that, seemed, that makes sense. That's pretty reasonable. All right, scorpion, jump on my back and I'll take you for a ride across the river. So the scorpion jumped on the frog's, frog's back and it began to swim across the river. But halfway across, the scorpion took out his deadly sting and stung him. Some of you are saying, oh, it's a fable. <laughs> you know, it's not like a pet frog that I had or something. So he stings him. And as the poison's going into the frog's limbs and stiffening his limbs and he's beginning to drown, he looks up at the scorpion and says, why? And the scorpion just simply replies, sorry, it's my nature. And when Jesus says, take up your cross deny yourself, actually what he's saying is, I want to shape that nature within you that would cause you to drown, that would cause you to live a life of trying to satisfy your needs in an inappropriate way. There's an older version of this fable where there's a a picture of the in India, where the scorpion jumps on a turtle's back and the scorpion tries to sting the turtle, but he's got a hard shell. And in one sense, when Jesus says, take up the cross, he's saying, let me give you a protective shield against some of the things that would harm you. So how does Jesus want to shape our motivation? Because that's what taking up your cross really is about. It's saying, let me... Add a filter to your life so that when something comes at you or you want something, filter it through the claims of me and the claims of my cross and and what I mean to you in my life. As you filter it, will shape it so it doesn't kill you. So it doesn't destroy you or make you worse than what you would be. You see, our motivation and what motivates us is really important. We've got a mixture of motivations. Abraham Maslow created a a kind of pyramid of motivations. And right at the bottom, he, he said we all need simple basic needs. We need food. We need clothing. We need safety. We need shelter. And in a sense, what we are doing today... Is, is we're trying to get to the very basic level of the need in our city. And we're trying to say, let's start there with you. But you know, for you, 
Jesus wants to fulfill your needs. And he says to us as Christians, he says, so don't worry about what you will eat or what you will wear. But don't you know that the pagans run after these things? But don't you know that your heavenly father knows what you need? You see, you've got to begin to say to God, well, God, I know you know that I need these things. Secondly, need that that Abraham Maslow said, he said, we had belonging needs and uh, love needs, you know, being part of a group needs, being in relationship needs. And do you know that the Bible and Jesus says, I want to take care of those needs. Ephesians 2.19 says, so then you are no longer strangers or aliens, but your fellow citizens with the saints and your members of God's household. Can I say to you that wherever you're from, whichever social status, whichever ethnic background, you are welcome in this house. Can you hear an amen, BCC? Because people who are not sure whether they're welcome, they need to hear you say amen right now. Amen? They're welcome in this house. Because Jesus says, I will take care of your belonging needs. I'll put you in relationships. I'll, I'll set the lonely in families. I will be that family for you. You see, Jesus wants to take care of your needs. And then there are some higher needs, aren't there, that we all have for for purpose and fulfillment. But did you know that Jeremiah cried out, and he cries out to you, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And I think of many of our young adults coming to uh, Birmingham to study and you're putting your life on the line and you're saying, what's my future, God? And and all the time, God is saying, your future, it's great that you're doing university. That's a great thing. But you know, your future doesn't lie in that. Your future lies in the fact that God has plans for you. I'm not decrying your degree in any way. But you see, we've all got these needs, but it's how we meet these needs There is often our danger. We often meet them in a way that damages us. We were meant to meet them in relationship with God. We were meant to meet meet them so that he can shape you in the way that's best for you. And that's what this idea of yoking or partnership means with, with Jesus. He says... Come and be in relationship with me. Be in partnership with me. Trust me so that I know what is best and how I'm going to develop you. You know, God, he looks down and he looks at your life and he's looked at your life. You know, the Bible says, I I saw you in the womb. I saw how you were knitted together. And I loved that. And he he looks forward in your life and looks at how many things that he can supply, but also how much guidance he can give so that your life comes to a great place in him. Now, please hear me right. When I said a great place, I didn't say an easy place. Unlike some other preachers who only want to tell you that God's got a a staircase of success for you, I want to say to you that God wants to begin to shape you so that you can take on important and difficult things for Him. Things that will be really good for you, 
but nevertheless they'll be hard. And God has that for you. He wants to shape your inner heart so that your heart grows so that you can receive great purposes and plans. And the best way you can do this is to get in this partnership relationship with Jesus. Where you say, I am yoked with you. I am fastened to you. It's said that the best way to get things out of us, and Daniel Pink wrote a book on what motivates us, and he said the best way to get things out of us is to, is to develop autonomy, mastery, and purpose. Uh, that, that autonomy means that sense of you feel like you're in control of your life or you have some freedom to make some decisions. That mastery is you want to get better uh, at things and, and purpose is, is you know, you, you give your life to valuable things. But I want to say to you, Jesus answers those needs. But he answers it, he, he never gives us complete autonomy, but Jesus deals with our need for autonomy or feeling that we have, a, have some control in that he yokes with us and, it, and he dialogues with us and he talks to us and the Bible says that he gently leads us in the best way for us. In fact, Psalm 23 says, he leads me beside still waters. He restores me. You know, Jesus gave the disciples some, some kind of freedom. He, he sent them out. And he said, look, I'm not coming with you. He's with them in, in spirit, but I'm not coming with you. And that's what he'll say to you. He'll always be with you, but he'll say, I want you to do this. And as you're yoked with him, you'll give up that need for total control. When Jesus says, come and follow me, it, it, He says, you know, follow me because I want you to get better at things. He brings mastery into your life and says, you know, you started out at this level, but come on, I've got more to show you. You know, I was checking out iTunes this week and looking at what the most popular songs were. And it's incredible to me that, you know, the the kind of sense of purposelessness that we have. We've, we've got people who are, who are protesting on our streets because they're so afraid about how the, the earth is. And, and, and yes, we need to be great stewards of our, of our earth. And we, need, we all need to be careful in the way that we live. And, and we can all be self-reflective about that. But we cannot be fearful because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And he will look after his creation. Now, that doesn't mean give us a license to do what we like. The Bible says that we were to steward creation. But we cannot base our decisions on rabid fear. We have to have more of a sense of purpose. And I was checking out iTunes and there's one of the top five selling songs is Dance Monkey. You didn't know I was so trendy, did you? And I was listening to it, checking out the lyrics, and this is one of the lyrics. Just like a monkey, I've been dancing my whole life. And you just beg to see me dance just one more time. And I just feel that that's how people are. That they just feel that great forces around us are trying to shape us. And yet God says, I have purpose for you. Seek first the kingdom of God. And all the things will be added to you. 
God's got purpose for you. Jesus shapes our motivation as we stay in partnership with him, as we're trusting him, as we're dialoguing with him. Do you remember in Acts chapter 16, uh, the, the disciples were seeking where to go, and it says, we tried to go into this area, but the Spirit said no, and then we, we tried to go into this area, Mysia, but the Spirit of Jesus wouldn't go, and we tried to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus said, oh, don't go that. It wasn't this robotic puppet thing. It was God in dialogue saying, hey, I've got better plans for you. And that's how he wants to shape you. So if God's saying a no to you right now, he's got a better field for you to serve in or a better place for you to be. You see, we shape our motivations by having this trusting, yoking partnership that he knows what he's going to develop in your life. He knows that it's best for you. And the idea of yoking or partnering with him is really key to the Christian life. Because when you cut the string and say, no, I'm just going to go my own way, that's when our nature kicks in. We need to pick up our cross and say, God filter the things in my life. And as you filter them, I know that you'll lead me into a good place. When I say a good place, I don't mean an easy place. There's a key scripture of how Jesus shapes our motivations. I want to you perhaps put it on the screen. Galatians 2 verse 20. If you've got a Bible Uh, you'd like to read along with me. This key scripture helps us to work through how we can pick up our cross or what this filter process to our motivations is. This is how Jesus shapes you on the inside. It reads like this. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh or in this physical place I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I want to just teach five truths about this scripture. Number one, first of all, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. First truth is this, God has done something in your life. And that he has done something to break those unbridled desires. Some of you are struggling with something. Some of you are uh, are having difficulties and you feel the stretch of it. You need to proclaim over your life, No, I have been crucified with Christ. The power of this is not stronger than what Christ has done in me. I have got a work of the cross in my life. I have been, not I will be crucified with Christ, not I want to be crucified with Christ, but by the grace of God, you have already done a work of grace in my life that breaks those addictions, breaks those thought patterns, breaks the power of the things that control me. I have put them on the cross. It's if you feed them, they have their power. If you starve them to death, They will die. And God has already given you the power to starve them. 
Because you have been crucified with Christ. Second truth. Christ has become the center. He is on the throne. I always have him present. I turn over to him because he's the main partner. The Bible says, look, I no longer, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ. Now I'm going to talk to you about how you live in a moment, but let's just understand the partnership is that it's Christ who lives in me. That I have a main partner. In fact, he's chief executive in this partner. He's CEO of my life. In fact, let me just take it higher. He's King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Majesty. He is the King of Kings of my life. And you need to put him, even though he says, yoke with me, partner with me, who's the main partner here? He listens to us, he hears our heart, but it's Christ who lives in me. Who's on the throne? When he's on the throne, then he begins to show the way. Third truth of how we pick up our cross. It's Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I now live in this flesh. I live by faith. I just want to say to you, it's you who live. That my life still has identity. I live by faith. There used to be an old poem that said that Christians are hands through which Jesus works. uh, Feet through which Jesus walks. A heart through which Jesus feels. And I just turn around to that poem and say, don't I do anything? You see, Jesus does not miss out your identity. It's you who live this life. It's you that still have an identity. Now, the way that I live for Christ, the way that you live for Christ, our personalities will express it differently because Christ lives in you, but he still wants you to live. He just wants to be chief partner, but you've still got to live it. You still have your identity to play out. You see, this is what's accused of us as Christians, that we are psychologically weak, that we kind of... uh, don't like our own identity, so we put it all on God. Well, God's not asking you to give up your personality, your identity. He's saying, just partner with me. You're still you. In fact, I would say to you that as you live to Christ and Christ shapes your motivations and he shapes your heart, you become the best sense of you. You become the real you. Not the you that everybody else is telling you. I am who I am because the I am says who I am. Come on. Man, I could almost sing it again. I am who I am because the I am says who I am. But I am who I am. Now the I am may be telling me who I am, but I am still who I am. Do you get what I'm saying? You still have identity. And don't let people outside the church, and if you're checking out the church, 
Don't think that you have to give yourself and your personality and your dreams and your creativity away by becoming a Christian. Actually, what you do is you go in partnership with Jesus and he shapes and fashions them so that they become a godly thing that doesn't destroy you. Can I hear an amen, church? Fourth truth about this scripture. I not only still have my identity, but my life has an ongoing way of living. I have to continually trust. The Bible says, look, it says, the life I now live in this flesh, I live, I live by faith. In all these things were bought by some sort of currency. You, you paid something to bring this into your, into your gift bag today. You either used your card or you, or you used cash. You know, Kathy says, I'm like Prince Charles, and I don't carry cash anymore. <laughs> but there was some currency that purchased this for you. Faith is the currency of the kingdom. It's not just that you get things by it. It's that you continually live by faith so that you can be connected to the things that God wants you to do. In order to pick up your cross, you now have got to continually trust God. Trust Him for that, for that next thing that you need. Trust Him if you're lonely. Trust Him. Start living by faith that if you feel that your life is not exactly where it should be, you have to continually trust because the life we now live in the flesh, we live by faith. Oh, I don't think you're getting it. I can tell that you're just agreeing with me because you're nice. Turn to your neighbor and say, trust him. No, now turn to your neighbor and command them, trust him. You know, I, I don't know whether this is seeker sensitive or what, but you've got to understand that you have to trust God. Some of you are disappointed with him. Some, some of you, you've got disappointments in your hand. You look at how your life's worked out. And it's not kind of worked out the way you wanted to. Some people who you thought they were like, you thought they were like something and they've turned out to be something different. You need to trust him now. The best prayer that some of you can say is bless this mess. Because you know, when he hovered over creation, he created something out of chaos. He can do that in your life. You've got to trust Him. You can't move forward and you can't pick up the cross unless you trust Him and begin to say, this is my life. There's a foundation to this scripture. Put the scripture back on, Phil. The last truth of this scripture is this. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and He gave Himself for me. That whatever happens and however difficult God may ask you to do something or if he brings difficult things into your life, there is a foundation that you mustn't forget. God loves me, 
So despite the challenge, I need to know that whatever God brings into my life, He brings it from a place of love, who loved me and He gave Himself for me. I know stuff happens to us, but God's love does not change. Difficult things are going to happen to you. But I have been crucified with Christ and it is uh, no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. And He gave Himself up for me. You must never move away from that foundation in your life that God's love for you does not change. And when God says, you need to pick up the cross in that area. You need to allow me to filter that out of your life. You've set your heart on that thing and that's not my best plan for you. That when He says, pick up the cross and let that go, He's doing it because He loved you and He gave Himself up for you. He's not doing it because he's the big partner in the relationship. He loves you. He adores you. He doesn't worship anybody. But he could, if he could worship somebody, he'd worship the ground that you walk on. Because he loves you that much. He loves you. And some of us think that God is this granddad in the sky. Who just wants to push us around. But he says, pick up the cross because that's not good for you. I love you. So when Jesus says, take up your cross daily, he's saying, every day, let me mold and shape your motivations. Every day. The things that from the inside you want, let me shape that. Let me filter that. Let my truth, let my word Let my outlook, everything about me, let me shape that. Pick up your cross, deny what you want, let me shape your inner motivations. Every day, when we say that we want to pick up the cross, we are saying, I will follow you every day. Even if you lead me into a difficult conversation with somebody, every day, I will allow you to do that because I'm picking up the cross. Every day, I will seek purpose by serving you and not just getting on with it, but, but actually thinking, what is the direction you've got for me, Lord? Taking up your cross is the unmistakable call of discipleship. And what taking up your cross means, allowing Jesus to shape you on the inside. That's what it means. It doesn't just mean putting up with a little bit of trouble. It means that you say, God, is this the right thing for me? So this week, there are three things I want you to give to God. Why don't we stand as we do it and the worship team will come back and I'll just preach around them. There are three really important things that you need to take to the cross. Take to God. Number one, we need to take our repeated ambitions and give it to God and check it out. 
There's some very talented people in this, in this place and you've got some ambitions of where you think your life should go and, and you know that's fine, but you know wherever your life is, why don't, you, why don't you take it to the cross and say, that promotion, that plan, I'm putting it to the cross. That ministry ambition, that repeated thing that you feel that you think you need for your life. Jesus, I'm taking it and I'm going to place it on the cross. You see, you've got to take your repeated ambitions, the things that you think you need. And what part of taking up your cross is saying, this is what I've wanted all of my life, but Jesus, I'm bringing it to you and I'm asking you, is this right for me? And as you do that, peace, joy and love will come into your life. The second thing that you need to bring to the Lord is your repeated desires. The things that you want. Listen, let's just all be honest. We all want stuff. You know, I'm saving for a new car at the minute. It's killing me. I want a new car, but what I'm doing is with my, you know, I've just said to the Lord, Lord, if I have to drive around and, well, or be driven around, should I say, in that old Nissan Juke, until you come, that's fine with me. You see, I'm going to take my desire for a new car. I'm going to take it and put it on the cross. Do you see what I'm saying? You see, you want some things. You, you've got your children and you've got their education. You want some things for their education. And you need to pick up that desire for your children's education and you need to carry it and place it at the cross and say, is that what you want for my children, Lord? So I want to take my ambitions and I want to place them at the cross. I want to take my desires and place them at the cross. Please, by the way, at the end of church today, nobody please try and sell me a car. I'm putting it at the cross. But you know, there's one last thing. You need to give Jesus your repeated fears. And you need to trust that the things that you are worried about are under his authority. And I know you're all kind of wondering, man, I'm getting in Pastor Mark's way here and everything and all the rest of it because he's walking around and this. But you need to take your fears those fears of being alone. And you need to pick that fear up and you need to carry it to the cross. And you need to say, I'm giving you my fear. That, that fear that says, I think I might run out of money. Take that fear and take it to the cross and give it to Jesus. Because taking up your cross every day is saying, my ambitions, my desires, my fears, I'm bringing them to you, Lord. And I'm getting emotional about this because you're such a great church. And 
And look at what you've done. This is amazing stuff. I think of how you've invested in India and the Philippines. I think of how, how you've paid for homeless shelters. And I think of how, how you've helped out trafficking people. And I think of the money we've donated here, there, and everywhere. But you know what? I actually want something more for you. And that's something on the inside of you that shapes you, changes you, so you walk into the plans of God. And so we've got a song that we'll sing at the end of this service as a prayer. And during this song, if you'd like to bring something to the cross, if you would like to take communion and say, that's my way of bringing something to the cross. If you would like to receive some prayer, maybe you're sick in your body or something. Maybe it's time that we just spent a moment bringing our inner motivations to Jesus and allowing the cross to let some of them die shape some of them so they'll live bless some of them so that they'll flourish because that's what happens you either have to say kill it shape it or bless it come on let's sing together This is a prayer for all of us.